Cracked fans to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a fantastic episode for all of you listeners today as I am joined by 2023 French Open men's doubles champion and year-end world number one doubles player, Austin Krejcik, once again on the show to chat through his breakout 2023 campaign. What changed this year to allow him to climb to the highest echelons of the game? Of course, I also wanted to discuss where he goes from here. What are his plans for the offseason, his hopes for 2024? How did his Davis Cup experience this season shape what he hopes to accomplish in the immediate future representing the USA as well? It is a fantastic, fantastic discussion that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. And simply put, uh, I want to be honest, we haven't been as good as I would like of late on this Cracked Interviews podcast. We're going to make up for that here in the month of December. Some fantastic guests on the horizon. We're talking top 100 ATP singles and doubles players, the sort of quality guests we know you listeners deserve after, again, what was certainly a disappointing November for us here on this show. We're going to make up for it. We're rocking and rolling. Again, December's a big month for us podcasting-wise here. At Cracked Rackets. It's the offseason. Players have time to chat. All of you tennis fans looking for something to occupy your tennis thoughts. We try to provide you some content uh, in the meantime as all of us prepare for the start of the next season. So I do want to remind you all it's not just this podcast. We are having so much fun on the mini break. Who have we had of late? Gil Gross, David Kane, Ben Rothenberg, Ed McGrogan, David Gertler. The list gets better and better. We have Colette Lewis on Tuesday. It's just uh, Jeff Sackman coming on, Tennis Abstract founder on Wednesday. We're bringing in the big guns. I'm calling in all of the favors as we recap 2023, preview 2024, and again, try to keep you fans entertained as we all await the start of a new season. In the meantime, again, go like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Mini Break podcast feed, of course, the Great Shot podcast feed where we've kicked off our 2024 college tennis top 10 preview as well. We're locked and loaded. Want to make sure you listeners don't miss any of that content. So again, go subscribe, like, review to all of our shows. This one, the Mini Break podcast, Great Shot podcast feed, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of of our coverage. With that said, though, let's get to it. We've got a fantastic conversation with the world number one. So here it is, my talk with the one and only Austin Krejcik. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a man you all will know best as the 2023 French Open men's doubles champion and year-end number one in the ATP doubles rankings. Let's welcome back onto our show, Austin Krejcik. Austin, welcome back. How are you doing today, my friend? Doing great, man. Thanks a lot for having me back. 
No, it is a pleasure to have you. And let's just start right there with the intro. You are the year-end number one. What does that mean to you? You know, what have you gone through to accomplish this feat? Yeah, I mean, it, it means uh, a lot. I mean, it's hard to put it into words. It's it's something that you dream of at the time you're a little kid. And this year has been, um, you know, just so hectic. Uh, so many, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of great moments. Um, obviously, winning the French Open this year was was super special, and that was the first time to to get the number one ranking um, originally. And then I think being able to finish the year number one kind of solidifies that. And, and it's a, it's a bit of a different feeling as well. So it's, it was a huge goal of mine, you know, right after that summer. And um, it's pretty, pretty cool to be able to finish the job there. Obviously we had to have a few things go our way and, and a little bit of help from, from one of my buddies, Richie Fram there at the end. Uh, but um, you know, it, it worked out um, great and it's been a pretty, pretty special moment. Did you have the boldness to look at him during Davis Cup and say, hey, man, like, I would really appreciate a little put, you know, you got me at the U.S. Open. The least you can do is push me to world number one. Yeah, I mean, you know, at that time, we, we were a little bit of a ways out still. So we, we were just kind of focused on on, uh, on beating Yvonne in that first match there and and, uh, and trying to qualify through, unfortunately, didn't didn't work out. But, um, yeah, we, we still had some tournaments there. I thought, you know, hopefully we'd have a little bit more stay in it uh, personally if we could do a little better at the end tournaments there but um you know that's how tennis goes it's the last couple of years we've most of the situations we've been in we we've kind of had to had to come down to our racket and we had to win and had to perform and this was one of the first you know situations where it was kind of out of our hands a little bit um which to be honest i'm not a huge fan of so you know it, it's not easy to, to sit back and kind of you know see if this happens and that happens and this team, you know, so that was one of the first times we've had to do that. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, it was just one of those things where you just kind of have to let it, let it work out the way it's going to work out. And, um, you know, luckily for us, it, it uh, landed our way. Yeah. Well, it certainly did work out as you alluded to, you are the world number one to end the year. <laughs> and, you know, this is something we talked about when we spoke after your French open title, but I am curious and you sort of alluded to this earlier, but, you know, again, you didn't crack the top 10 in your career in the doubles rankings till last season. And I know you had legitimate thoughts about stepping away from the game and starting that next phase of your life. What does this do for you moving forward? You know, being the year end number one, knowing, hey, I'm going to be playing the slams. I'm going to have the opportunities not to get into your money, but like shout out to you. You made over a million in prize (laughs) money alone this year. That's freaking awesome for any professional to accomplish like do you have to do you start thinking now immediately like okay maybe this expands my window moving forward yeah i mean you know of course i mean i think every athlete especially every tennis player is such a tough sport to make a living has those periods where they go through tough times so you know i absolutely had those many of those um but i think the last couple years I've, i've been building towards uh you know just playing better tennis and trying to put myself in a position to have some success and and luckily um you know with a good partnership with yvonne i think we've really done a good job of building our team and having more success consistently and um you know so so this year was was if anything it was extremely motivating um to see the success we had and, and winning a lot of first, so first masters, first grand slam, number one for the first time, a lot of cool first time things that uh, we accomplished. But I think um, it's encouraging because there's, 
a thousand things that I could say that we could do better. I mean, I, I could do better as a, as a individual player, but we could do better as a team. Um, you know, Yvonne's got things he can improve as a, as our coaching staff, like as, as a whole unit, I think there's things we can do better. So it's, it's pretty encouraging moving into next year. I think we're playing our best tennis and, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of it is about staying healthy and, and just bringing your best level to the, to the biggest events and, and kind of letting things fly and, and, uh, going for it in the big moment. So I think, yeah, it gives us a lot of confidence going into next year. I, you know, there's several teams at the top that, that split up. So, I mean, we're, one of the few teams that stuck together. And I think that, you know, that that's a good thing going into the beginning of the year that um, we can kind of go down there and try to um, impose ourselves right away. And in, in the first couple of events, obviously Australia is always a little bit unique because you, you go from an off season period and uh, you know, you get one tournament and then you're right into a grand slam, which is not really the way that it works the rest of the season. So um, it's always a little bit different. And, and to be honest, in my career, I, I haven't done fantastic at that transition. So I think that's a big goal of mine this year is to go down there a little bit more prepared to play matches right away and and uh, and be healthy moving in. I think last year we both had a little bit of a of an issue with some health things early on in the season. And, um, you know, that's our goal this year is to be down there and 100% and ready to compete right away. Mm-hmm. I want to expand on that thread because you know, a longtime admirer of your game, as we've established. I remember when you were racking up NCAA doubles titles and all these different things. And I always like to say, don't forget, Austin Krejcik, former top 100 <laughs> singles player as well, just yeah. added to the list of resume things you've accomplished. In making that jump from 30, 40s, certainly top 50 doubles player, but into the top 10 and into that number one status where you are now. And I apologize for simplifying this question to its most basic form. And sure. I told you before the pod, you might swear at me, like this might be the moment where it comes. <laughs> like, Are you that much better than you were in 2021? Like, I'm curious if it really just does come down to like six <laughs> no ad points throughout the course of a mat, <laughs> like of a season or something like that, because, you know, again, I look at your U.S. Open semifinal run, and maybe in the context of this season, it feels a little bit disappointing. But like, that's not something you've done that frequently throughout yeah. the course of your career. So I'm, I'm just like curious: is it is it mental? Is it there are actual like clear physical things you've improved? What is that difference? I mean, I think it's a little bit of all that. I, I no, I don't think I'm you know astronomically better player than I was in, in 2021 or 2022 early on. Um, Definitely not. I think my level was was there at that time. I think a lot of it is is a little bit mental. Um, but like you said, with the format the way it is, um, and it's even more apparent at the end of the season because we were actually playing great in the indoor season, and we had some tough losses. You know, in, in um, you know the last match in turn obviously was brutal one, but uh, we're playing great, and uh, you put yourselves in a position. We've had a lot of those matches go our way, and there's the tiebreakers and tough no ad points this year, and. And they didn't uh, towards the end of the season. So, um, you know, the matches come down to one or two points. And I think even more than that, it, within those points, it comes down to one or two decisions. And that can make a difference between, you know, winning. I mean, we had match, you know, first round in uh, Roland Girls, we were down a break in the third set. Um, and I think we were down match points uh, in one of those matches. We were down match points in the year before, too, early on in early rounds. And, you know, it's just that one of those things where you just you just try to bring your best level or a match and put yourself in a position to win. And, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't go your way. But uh, I think, yeah, I think overall, though, I think the little things, I think I've done a lot better, um, you know, learned a lot from Yvonne. I think bring some of those, um, you know, super uh, intense professionalism things um, 
into both into our team and i think we we've you know maximized that side of it and um just tried to do all the little things right um so i think that area is cleaned up a little bit i think there's a few things i mean you know tactically in the way i'm playing that have improved for sure there's no doubt about that but i mean i i don't think there's any like astronomical jump in level by any means it's just the the small details i mean everybody in the top 200 can play at a super high level you know and it's just to go from 50 to one, like you just need a few things to go your way. You need the right partner. You need, you know, maybe a great coach behind you that, that believes in you and can push you the right way and then play a good schedule. And, and, you know, it, it can happen. It's just, uh, things got to kind of line up. I think you're going to like the phrasing of this question. We recently saw Novak Djokovic on 60 Minutes this past week, and John Wertheim was sitting with him, asked him about that mental side that separates him from everyone else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Novak was quick to say, because John Wertheim implied it was a gift of his, and Novak said, no, that's something I've actually really worked hard to develop. And I'm curious, we've heard from one world number one. Now I'd like to hear from the other world number one. Is that mental side something you have trained, you have worked on? And I'm curious, like even specifically, what does mental training look like? Because I think that the idea of that conceptualizing it is something that fans struggle to do. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I do. I do think it's something that's trained. I mean, maybe some guys uh, have an inclination earlier on to, to focus on that side of it. Um, but, you know, fortunately for me, I, I went to IMG for about three and a half years before I went to college and they had a phenomenal sports psychology program there and i was uh, you know uh, fortunate to work with some some guys are angus mugford and, and trevor moad that were just you know i mean it's it's hard to put into words how good their perspective was on on life and seeing the bigger picture and, and really focusing on the right things focusing on your routines the little things you can control and i mean those are obviously things that novak does better than anybody in the world and that's why he's you know arguably the best player ever so um i think it is something that's trained i think um i have worked hard on that all along, I think I do have a an interest in in following certain guys that are motivating. I mean, I, I I've got a lot of uh, you know role models that I look up to, um, you know, in mentalities, different um, you know, pretty hardcore you know mentalities that um, you know taking responsibility and, and just trying to make yourself better at the end of the day and and um, and bringing your best self to uh, these big moments. I think is is really what what matters but but i do think and i agree with him that it's it's definitely trainable and and um something that you you can improve 100 percent. yeah and i i also feel like for guys going to college now playing no ad points like the stress of that and you alluded to it earlier not to bring up a bad memory but watching that 15 13 breaker <laughs> yeah. at the atp tour finals like I, I rewatched it this morning in preparation for this podcast oh man i don't know how tennis fans <laughs> don't just enjoy the thrill of that as much as anything sudden death is just not something we see within the sport and I do feel like you need a mental edge in that no ad yeah. moment. Like, look, I noticed who was taking returns, Austin, on those no ad points or things like that. Like, it, it, it matters, yeah. doesn't it? Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you have to. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to have a little bit of an edge. I think that's something that you know you build up um, over the years and being in those. I think that experience, though, on the big courts, it's tough to buy that. You have to be there. You have to fail. You have to you know, go through those tough moments where you make stupid decisions and look like an idiot, you know, and, and have those tough losses to kind of build up an experience base that when you get to that moment, you trust yourself and have the confidence. And, um, you know, at the same time, I think, I think the confidence comes from obviously well before that it's from the work you put in day in, day out on the practice court. And, and really when no one's watching, I mean, that's, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, is champions are made when no one's watching. So, um, you know, I think that's important to have the, the confidence to be there, but 
yeah, you need an edge. Um, you know, but at the same time, you also need some things to go your way. You know, I mean, all four of us on that court, I mean, you know, Eddie and, and Santhi have been playing phenomenal tennis this year. They're great. One of the best teams in the world, obviously being there in Turin and, and, um, you know, we've played them multiple times this year and, and they're all, everybody on the court is capable of making the winning shot. It was just a matter of who stepped up. And unfortunately in that match, um, you know, it wasn't us at the end, but, uh, you know, it's also great tennis and, and a fun match to be a part of looking back on it now. The exchanges were exceptional. It really, yeah, it was yeah. just, it was such good tennis down the home stretch. Again, one of those where you're disappointed it has to end at, uh, you know, at the win by two. Right. But, you know, I'm curious more broadly, obviously five finals for you through that French Open and you win that French Open title, you know, second half of the season, things start out really well in the grass. You win a title, mm-hmm. you make another final. You know, from there, there are still some highlights. Certainly, U.S. Open semifinals and making the tour finals has to be a big deal for you. You know, how would you assess that second half of the season for you and Yvonne? Yeah, I think, um, you know, level-wise, I think we were playing great. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where sometimes it's just not going your way. I mean, we, we had a great uh, tournament at Queens, won that event. I think, you know, there's always lessons in there where we can learn to do better scheduling. I think we probably made a mistake there playing Eastbourne that next week. I think we were pretty burned out going into Wimbledon, um, you know, which looking back was, was not a, a great scheduling call, but you know, I mean, at the time we, we had made the decision with the best information we have available there. So, um, you know, live and learn, uh, there and then coming to the hard courts had a tough match in Toronto, but it's always tough having that gap and then switching from, you know, grass to, to hard court there. And, um, and then Cincinnati, we had a good week, uh, another brutal tiebreaker we lost there. I think that was 14, 12 or something in the semis. <laughs> uh, so definitely one we, we probably should have won and, um, you know, or could have, we definitely had the position to win it a few times. And, uh, you know, that was a tough match, but we rebounded well, uh, had a good break there in Dallas and then came back, had a great U.S. Open semis. I thought we played a fin- our best match of the tournament for sure was in the semis. I think we did a good job of of gritting out some some matches where we weren't playing at a high level and i think that's you know obviously what separates the the guys that are great and the guys that are good it's guys that can find a way to win when you're not playing well you're not feeling your best um and uh, we did a great job of that and got to the semis and then uh rajiv and joe i thought played one of the better matches that i've seen them play all year too they played phenomenal at the end in the third set there and uh, you know we're too good at the end so you know we put ourselves in a position and didn't didn't come through there but great event nonetheless and then going to asia we we won beijing the first week in asia so we played a great tournament there uh, i think it was one of the tougher cuts maybe the toughest cut of a 500 all year so it was good to win that tournament and then we both you know uh got a little bit sick there uh, that event so you know we were struggling with that a bit for the next few weeks um had a tough loss in shanghai where we actually played pretty well um but you know playing the singles guys we played max and um and Alex Demonar, who are two, you know, great players. I mean, they, guys, you don't want to really see in the, in the doubles draw or singles draw or mixed doubles draw really at any point. They're just they're good serves, good players, great athletes, you know, and they played great. Lost in the Thursday tiebreaker 12-10 or something like that um, with match points. And, uh, you know, tough one, lost, but uh, got to come home there for a bit and regroup. And then same thing in, in Europe, we actually played really well, just lost some some tough some tough matches at the end. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's still a success though to say we, we can obviously qualify for turn a little bit earlier this year than last year, which was, which was nice to have a different mentality going into turn. We were a little bit fresher and ready to compete and, um, you know, definitely looking forward to next year. Obviously one of our goals is always to qualify for the year end tournament. Um, and I think one of our big goals this coming year in 2024 is to do well there. I think we've had, you know, 
some tough matches. The conditions are a little bit difficult. They're super fast at tad bit of altitude and, um, you know, it's just not super ideal for us, but, um, we haven't performed great, you know, great at that event. And I think, um, that would be a big goal of ours just to come next year and, and, uh, try to do some damage there and, and maybe get a title. So you've played with Yvonne for now over a year and obviously Yvonne, 38 years old has accomplished as mm-hmm. much as anyone we have out there on tour, particularly from a double standpoint, what have your takeaways been from watching him play? You know, there is something to watching the shamelessness, which with he charges forward. And, you know, again, he would rather, it feels like at times, get hit in the chest than be caught at the baseline. <laughs> and, you know, there's something to the huevos there. Like, just there, again, you guys are all exceptional. The hands are ridiculous. But that he seems to stand out still. I'm just curious what you've learned in this partnership because I'm sure there's plenty of things. Yeah. No, I've learned a ton. I mean, Yvonne's been top 10 for, for over a decade and, and won all the biggest tournaments, won a bunch of grand slams. So it's, it's a great, um, you know, great leader and, and person to lean on. And I think we've really, you know, grown together and, and both improved in the last year and a half. And I think we have room to improve even more, but you know, I've, I've learned a lot, uh, from his experience, um, you know, how to prepare for big moments, um, you know, the ways we prepare after we lose and, and between tournaments and, um, you know, now as well, you know, I'm, I'm, not necessarily getting old, but I'm definitely, you know, kind of on the, on the older ish side, uh, especially when it's singles, but, but doubles, I'm still maybe a little bit young, but, um, you know, getting there. So you got to take care of your body a little bit different, especially when you get in the mid thirties, you got to, uh, do the little recovery things a little bit better. So I think we've, um, you know, we've, we've done a good job of that. And then, you know, at the end of the day, staying healthy is, is more than half the battle, um, to play, be able to play a full season together. And that's why, that's why qualifying for Turin and being able to, you know, finish the year number one as a team is such a great accomplishment because it means that we were able to, even with a, a few injuries we had this year, and Yvonne had some trouble at Indy Wells, Miami, um, you know, missed that stretch. We were able to kind of pull together and and uh, finish the year on top, which is a, a great testament of being able to be consistent all year. When do you think the last time he got ID'd at a bar was? Like when he was 12, 13? Yvonne? Like- yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, probably a very, very long time. I mean, it's a little different for us Americans, you know. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think in Europe, <laughs> not worried about that as much as, uh, as as we talk about it. But um, yeah, it's probably been a little while. So. I'm just saying he <laughs> he can both pass for 34 and 54. Like it's a shout yeah. out to him. He's got the range, and again, still jacked. Oh, yeah. Like you're like, how do you keep it up at that? Yeah, range? he's a f- fantastic athlete, and yeah. and. Uh, yeah, he takes care of himself better than anybody, and it's yeah, it's great. I mean, that it it shows you you know uh, why he's so successful at this age, and and the important thing is, is you know he's still improving, he's still getting better, which is uh which is a pretty inspiring to see. So I, we're excited for this next year, and I think we've got a lot of good things to come. When you are playing with Rajiv and Davis Cup against him, do you look at Rajiv and say, yo, like inside hip pocket, I know what he doesn't want? Or are you like, you know what, I'm going to keep those secrets to myself? Like, what was that experience like to get to play against him? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's tough because, um, and I actually, it actually helped because Raj, the year before in the UK, he played Joe first, first match, uh, him at Joe and Andy Murray, and he was playing with Jack. So it was, he had that experience before. So he knew kind of how weird it is, how I was going to feel. And so we, we chatted about that and, and really just try to focus on our side of the court and play the best strategy we knew and try to help the U.S. get a win. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, it was pretty, I mean, I was actually really excited for that one for, for a while. Cause I knew we were going to get the play Yvonne and in Croatia and the crowd was going to be great. And, you know, playing Mate as well, who's one of the best players of the last decade as well. I mean, unbelievable number one player also. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty high level match. And I think we, um, 
we did a good job of uh you know separating the who you're playing and all that and just kind of focusing on strategy and trying to uh you know, utilize Bob, uh, what, a, what a great leader we have now and Bob as a captain. So to utilize his experience and, and um, I think we all actually connected great as a unit and I'm really excited for, for what the future holds for, um, for Davis Cup and, and the U.S. tennis. I think there's a lot of uh, really good things ahead. If you were to rank that win in terms of the season accomplishments that you won, like that's got to be number two behind French Open final, right? Like I know the <laughs> Davis Cup, but you beat your teammate, come on. Yeah, I mean, no, it was cool. I mean, obviously, you know, we both wanted to win. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't know if it had anything to do ranking wise to beating Yvonne. I, I don't think that's necessarily part of it. But, but I do think playing Davis Cup is is, is another, yeah, to clinch. And I think that's the first time we've ever beaten Croatia as well, which was kind of a cool stat. Also, um, I think we were like zero and five or something against them before that. So. Um, you know, that's pretty neat. Um, but anytime you get to play for your country, I think it's something special and, and unique and something that I've always um, just really find hard to put into words. And I think it's super special. And anytime I can suit up for the U.S., I'm, I'm super motivated and, and uh, it's, it's really special. So you alluded to it, building something special with the Davis Cup team. Obviously, yep. a massive disappointment to not advance out of the round robin mm-hmm. stage. Now, obviously, Finland played a really good match. And, you know, again, credit to them. We had Francis, we had Tommy, we had Mackie, we had you and Rajiv. It was a really good U.S. team that went out right. to that uh, Davis Cup. I'm curious, you know, did this loss resonate with with this team? Like, should we expect some some serious fire going into that 2020 oh, yeah. competition? Because, you know, again, it's one of those rare opportunities <clears throat> to compete as a team in pro tennis. Yeah, I mean, we're all you know crazy competitive guys, and they, yeah, it stung a lot. I mean, it was it was a a really brutal loss. I've had you know obviously a lot of tough losses in my career, like every other tennis player. But um, you know, Olympics was one of the probably the worst ones I've had um, in that third and fourth match with tennis. Um, in, in that, I mean, Davis Cup is is always up there. I mean, it was it was right there. We were all you know really upset, and and um, you know thought we could have done better, and. Um, you know, there's just, it's just, we're just competitive. You know, we want to win. We, we don't want to let our country down. And, and I think we thought we could have done better in that, that event there for sure. Um, but you got to give those guys credit also. I mean, the, the, the Dutch guys played unbelievable. The Finn, Finn guys at the end, I mean, um, uh, Risevoy played lights out tennis at the end. And, um, you know, uh, at a certain point you gotta, you gotta see, uh, too good to the other guys as well. But, you know, I think it's a good, um, stepping stone for us next year to come back knowing what to expect. I mean, Davis cup is a special event where guys, you know, the rankings go out the window a little bit and guys raise their level. So you got to be ready for that. Expect that, especially in indoors. I mean, the, you know, the condition, there's no wind, there's no sun. I mean, it's just ball striking and, you know, guys can, it's, it's an easy condition to raise your level. So um, I think, you know, you got to keep that in mind and, and I think we'll be ready next year uh, to battle those teams and, and, you know, hopefully beat whoever's in front of us. It was also a loaded section of doubles players. Like oh, Kulhoff, yeah. Off, middle coop, yep. you guys, Dodig, Pavich. Like, that was fun. Yeah. It was, again, really good tennis. Do you like the three set format? I, again, I know five matches, whatever, not to say best of three, best of five at majors compares to this, but I love the sudden death doubles. Like, I'm all, I, it's a lot of pressure on you guys, I'm <laughs> sure, but it's the coolest thing. Yeah, I think it does make it exciting to watch. Um, I'm not a huge fan of no ad. I, I, I understand the time constraint things with the, with the third state tiebreaker. Um, but the no ad makes it tough because there's a lot of times where, you know, a weird thing will happen with a shank return or some weird point. And, and when you get down love 30 or once a team gets to 30 in, in a no ad 
scoring format, it's 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 a tough game to get out of, and uh, you know it makes it really difficult because you know at uh, fifteen forty in a regular scoring game is not as daunting as okay now there's it's basically like you're down low forty. I mean you've got three break points um, at fifteen forty at fifteen thirty that becomes a massive point obviously. Whereas you know in, in a regular scoring it's not as big of a deal. Um, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things that's a little bit outside of our control. So we, we can play whatever format we have to play in, but I actually do like the full scoring system, uh, quite a lot. I like the fact that we can, you know, when you lose, you lose, you know, to a, a full scoring, uh, system, you play a full third set. And usually in those scenarios, the better team usually can win in the end, but, um, you know, it's the way doubles is now. So we have to deal with it. And I think it's a testament to the teams like the Bryans who, you know, obviously we're so dominant for so long. It's actually hard to believe the, some of their statistics, but um, the fact that they were just as dominant when they switched the format to the tiebreakers is a testament to them and how good they were. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you're a, a good team, I think in doubles, it shifts a little bit now because of the format. It's not, it's not necessarily about um, each week. It's just kind of bringing a consistent level for, for 25 weeks. And then over over the the long haul of the year, that'll average out. If you bring a good enough level, you'll win some. But you're gonna get you're gonna get screwed in a lot of third set tiebreakers. I mean, it's happened, you know, to every team. But you know, to us, eight, ten times this year, where you lose matches, we're just like, how do we how do we lose that match? You know, um, and it's so doubles has become a little bit more of of uh, hey, play twenty five good weeks, one week, any team can beat any team. We could lose to any team you know, in the world, you know, uh, to a certain point in any team that's playing these, these tour events, you can beat anybody because the format is a bit crazy and you never know with conditions and stuff. So it's just about being consistent. I think that makes it uh, a little bit different on a double tour, And that's obviously difficult mentally um, because you have to a lot of times wait a week or two weeks between those tough losses to, yeah. to get to the next chance. No, it's fascinating. Some scholars argue no ad scoring is to the Bryan brothers what Hackashack was to Shaquille O'Neal, and it didn't work for either. <laughs> you know, again, they both yeah. still dominated, and so you try exactly. to slow them down. It doesn't work no matter what. But no, again, <laughs> it, it, you're right. It is fascinating because, yeah, absolutely. I, I've i seen sets go 6-1 where there are seven deciding points, and you're like, right. that was not a 6-1 set. Like That was a very good set where one team just happened to win the six biggest points. Um, and right. so you're absolutely right. And again, that's why I wanted to ask you about the mental side earlier because it does feel that much more important uh, to the doubles game. And, you know, obviously we're talking in December. It's the off season. I'm curious for you, how much is about rest, recuperation? How much of it is focusing on physical and even tactical mental improvements for yourself? Where are you at in your off season? Yeah, we're back at it already. I mean, I, I struggle to be honest, struggle sitting still. I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, you know, sitting on the couch or resting. And so I, I took a week, a little over a week off when I got home and had Thanksgiving with the family and everything and enjoyed that time. Um, but then I think it was the second weekend we were home. I, I called it my coach, Philip Farmer, who lives here. And I was like, Hey, I'm gonna hit some balls tomorrow. In August. <laughs> Let's get going. So yeah, we, we were ready to go. And, and uh, so yeah, we started hitting a, a little while ago and I've gotten into the training quite, quite well. And yeah, I mean, we focus on specific things that we want to improve for next year. Um, and kind of put it together a little plan for off season. And I think off seasons evolved a little bit over my career. You know, it used to be a bit more, um, you know, you really focus on something you're physically trying to change. You're trying to gain some weight or you're trying to put some strength in certain areas of your, of your body or game. Um, and as you get older and, and a little bit more experienced, you, you know, you, you kind of 
spread that out a little bit. You're not taking two weeks off and then just jumping full into it and you're, you know, sore, you can't move the first day. You increase the risk for injury, obviously, as you get older, doing something like that. So we try to take a little bit less time and then have a good training block and then a little bit of time off, good training block, and kind of spread it out a little bit throughout the off season and and uh, you know, enjoy the time you're home. And and then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's really important to get down to Australia and being healthy and in playing um playing good tennis and feeling good um when you get down there instead of being a little bit, you know, burnout and, you know, fried from, from working a little bit too hard in the off season. So no, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious at this point, how much is it weight room for you versus on court training? Like, you know, again, are you looking in the mirror? You know, it, it's tries and traps day. You're like, you know what? I'm trying to put on some muscle this off season. Like, what, what is your focus? Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys do, you know, have different approaches to that. I think I enjoy uh, working out in the gym a good bit. So, you know, I, I like it. I mean, is it, you know, super translatable into playing better doubles? You know, some people say, would say yes or no. I, it, it depends, I guess. But I think mentally, I, I like to run a good bit as well. So, I mean, I think running, I don't think translates that well into doubles, especially with the format when we're playing an hour and a half tops in the, in the no ad scoring. But I think mentally, there's some uh, positive aspects there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's everyone's a little bit different. Um, but now we're 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 starting to play a good bit more tennis uh, as well as workout. So, you know, we're kind of in the middle-ish area where we I, I was focused a bit more on the fitness early on, and, and then we kind of transition closer to tennis as you get uh, towards the tournaments. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I asked this to Rajiv when we had him on the show, and he made the point of you know he and Joe live separate lives. Like Rajiv's got a family; yep. he's a little bit older, and so they don't train together in the off season. Obviously, again, Yvonne a little bit older than you, and you guys are both <laughs> the different countries as well. Are you guys training together at all during this off season, or is it more of a hey, we'll keep each other up to date of what we're doing, but like we trust each other to get our work in? Yeah, I think that's one of the the strengths we have as a team is, is we both work really hard and, and there's no even remote um you know thought of like hey maybe he's not doing enough or yeah. you know like it, we we trust each other in that and, no suspicion and, uh, yeah there, there's zero of that so you know obviously it sounds insane but uh, in tennis it's quite normal like raj said where you know i'll live in dallas and he lives in croatia and we're you know so far apart uh, and then we meet up at the tournaments and and um you know we play together throughout the year so much that we'll meet early and and, and it just takes a day or two and we're, we're clicked back in we played so many matches together and stuff so um but no we, we do have some you know communication on certain things maybe that that i might be focusing on or whatever but as far as like will he come to dallas or, or why go there probably not before uh, we get down to to australia and start training in, in adelaide so Interesting. No, and I'm curious for you guys because I feel like new school, you see a lot of forehands on the outside. People like that return on the outside. They want to be able to go forehand line a little easier, all that thing. Now, obviously, you have on lefty-righty. It's a little bit different. You guys keep your forehands inside. What are the mm-hmm. tactical benefits for the fat decision? For those that don't understand what I'm saying, Austin, a lefty playing the do side, his forehands on the inside of his body, inside of the court. Yvonne, same thing on the ad side being a righty. Well, how does that benefit you guys? Yeah, I think it benefits, um, especially when I'm up the net and even to the net, we have both our forehands in the middle. So you can usually reach a little bit further on your forehand side. Most guys are a little bit more comfortable poaching that way. Um, you know, so, so that's an advantage as well. If we both do stay back and, and sometimes usually the volleys will come through the middle a little bit, especially if you hit a good return, the next ball, you get a forehand where you can try to hurt the other team and, and get an advantage in the point. Um, but you know, that being said, I've actually played 
probably significantly more doubles in the ad in my life and all through college and after school i played ad usually so you know forehand was on the outside there but you got to balance you know the return strength i think i've gotten significantly better returning in the in the deuce um so um you know now i'm pretty comfortable on that side but um, i think ideally i mean most most lefties would usually start in the deuce bob brown was also you know an incredible deuce player lefty his forehand was huge so uh it's a little bit of a weapon there um you know so i would say that's probably the ideal uh setup if you can no i I agree with you that's always how i preferred to play it but i do feel like some people now like that forehand return on the outside and so it's interesting to see you guys stick with there i say something yeah i definitely did i i I like the ad side there yeah yeah so you can tee off a little more line easily that would be why right yeah, yeah, that one. I just yeah, I just feel like also my backhand swing path is a little bit uh, flatter, so that inside out return feels pretty comfortable for me. See, um, now we're talking swing paths. Now we've reached where I wanted to get to in this podcast. Okay. Like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, again, a lot of people struggle to pull that backhand cross inside out, right? Like that's the issue. Is it floats up and it's an easy smackdown poach. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, no, and so tactically again, I know I'm seeing some things. You know, again, I, am I world number one? No. <laughs> you go, you get you know, it. Yeah, I'm seeing some things. Um, all right, rapid fire for you down the home stretch because you've been very cool. kind with your time. Goals for 2024. What can we expect from you? Uh, we we want to win another Grand Slam. Uh, qualify for turn, win turn. And uh, we'd like to get a, a medal this year at the Olympics, Rosh and I as well. Mm-hmm. I like to hear that. I'm going to throw also win one of the Sunshine Swing events on that list. Like I, yeah. I just I feel like that's in the cards. I'm just I, I feel like you guys like at Indian Wells, like mm, that's okay. that's a surface yeah. that that's going to work this year. How Love important it. is the Olympics to you? Extremely, yeah, extremely. Anytime I can play for the U.S., I'm I'm all in, and uh, I, I do feel like it's a different. Uh, it's a different feeling to have to play somewhere bigger than yourself. Obviously we get to do that in college in tennis, but besides that you're pretty much it's individual sport and you don't get that feeling. So that's, it's a huge deal for me. Something to monitor certainly. And again, you finished fourth with tennis Sandgren in the doubles in 2021 in Tokyo. For those that don't remember marketing opportunities, I'm curious if anything's come up. You're the world number one doubles player. Has it been a little bit different this off season? Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, you do some, some interviews here and there. I mean, I'm, I'm not, to, the, to be honest, I'm not, I wouldn't even say the best. I would say I'm awful at uh, social media and <laughs> marketing myself in that regard. I'm not a huge fan. I understand, uh, you know, that, that that's probably not the right way to approach it as an athlete nowadays. Um, but I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Instagram and, and uh, you know, spending your time on your phone like that. So, um, you know, I, I've had some, I, I don't think, you know, a, a huge bit has changed. I mean, I, I, I try to focus on, uh, you know, spending time at home and, and really trying to become a better tennis player. And, and, um, you know, so that's kind of where my focus is at, but I mean, hopefully, you know, some things will come up here, I would think, but yeah, yeah I love to hear two words, Jackson Withrow, farm that <laughs> to him. Like what else is he doing? This <laughs> yeah, yeah. That feels like he's good. He's much better than me. Than me yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's he's excellent at it. So again, yeah, yeah. Go, Hey Jackson, will you handle this please? Uh, you owe me one. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> no, again, uh, and by the way, another Aggie who had a successful and fantastic season this year. Oh yeah. Talk to me about the Mark Knowles Foundation event you were at and what you were doing over there. Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, Mark lives here in Dallas as well. Uh, it was a little bit of a last minute thing. We, my wife and I got to go down there and obviously being a beautiful place in the Bahamas, it was the first time I've been there in 
20 years. So it was, it was actually really, really, really nice resort. And it was cool to, to help Mark's charity event. Anytime we get to give back a little bit and help the kids there it was, it was pretty cool. It was special. It was, it was fun, fun couple of days of a, a pro-am and a little junior clinic. And uh, we did like a little mini exhibition thing, but uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to help out and, and be a part of that. And any way we can give back, we love to when we can. Yeah, no, it, it sounded like an awesome event. And again, cool to get to be a part of it. I can only imagine. All right, last two for you. And these are a little bit more abstract, just to warn you, right. I guess. One's pretty straightforward. NCAA individuals, something, again, you are a former champion of. It's moving to the falls. Now, uh, to the fall. Now, you are a guy who, again, had pro aspirations playing college mm-hmm. tennis. You probably took a fall off at some point in your career. Mm-hmm. Would that have pissed you off, like, as a, as a college athlete seeing that move? What are your thoughts on that switch? Yeah. Yeah. I would have. Yeah. I, I, am not a huge fan of that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I see that they're trying to make the fall have a little more importance. Um, but it, it would have probably made me think a little bit more about the fact that, you know, I, I wanted to play pro tennis going to college and, um, you know, having the ability to play a lot of pro tournaments in the fall was, was a huge just reason that I went, went to school as well. Cause I could do both kind of. And, um, I think that takes away from that a little bit because now you you have to play some of the early fall events to get the ranking because there's no other base level to qualify for the i'm not exactly sure how they'll do it um but you know i think that it takes away a little bit of the opportunity to play some pro tournaments in the fall and um you know it's tough because then you know you, you win the ncas in the fall for a wild card in the us open i think which is hopefully what they're still going to do that's quite a long gap you know winning for the next year it's just it's an interesting switch i i kind of understand what they're trying to do making the fall a little bit more important but at the same time it is a spring sport um and you have to have some time to develop as a player and um you know i'm, I'm not a huge fan of that move completely fair and again 38 top 100 doubles players with college tennis ties to end the year in the atp top 100 right. speaks to again that uh that college tennis has a pathway for development my last one for you and again this is where things get a little abstract you, you <laughs> talked about davis cup and i'm all in mm-hmm. on it i'm all in on fostering an american tennis culture i also think we have a national campus it would be awesome to use them for an event like this so obviously in sure. the juniors you have kalamazoo you have san diego you have American national championships where the best come together. You're playing as a junior for a qualifying wild card into the main draw of the U.S. Open. What I think we should do for Davis Cup, or even maybe just more broadly, and whether it's in the month of November, December, sometime when you guys are all getting together, American national championships. We have a singles draw. We have a doubles draw. All the American pros are entered. We play it at Lake Nona. We sell tickets for fans. You know, maybe that's how we dis- uh, determine Olympic spots as well. Would you be in favor of an American national championship for the pros? That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think there's a lot of factors. It's a tough. It'd be a tough time of the year if you're talking year end, just because everyone's so worn out from such a long year, and and a lot of the top guys are doing certain events and stuff to, you know, to to give back to their charities, or but also financially, there's a lot of opportunities to do some exhibitions and stuff. So. It would be a tough time of the year to do it, um, but I think it's an interesting idea. I think what you know Nick Monroe was doing with the All American Cup was a cool, um, a really cool concept, and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, room there that, that air interest. I think that would come about. I think it's it's not a bad idea at all. 
Actually. Yeah, that's the problem is you guys play so much tennis already. Maybe sneak yeah. it like before or after the sunshine swing. Like don't go to Monte Carlo. We'll pay you to stay in Orlando. Let's do one <laughs> more event and then we can get back out there on the pro tour. Uh, Monte Carlo, Orlando, pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it's very comparable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people are often saying Orlando's the Monte Carlo of the U.S. And so I've, you know, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah heard exactly. That. <laughs> so now it's official. But again, what else is official? You are the year-end number one and a Grand Slam champion. And again, we really appreciate you taking the time as always to chat with us so austin krejcik congratulations to you on all you accomplished this year and looking forward to seeing where you go from here and thank you as always for joining us yes sir thanks a lot appreciate it hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with 2023 french open men's doubles champion and world number one atp doubles player austin krejcik a thank you to austin again for taking the time to chat he's been very generous with his time to us here at crack rackets over the years and we sincerely appreciate that fact. Always a pleasure to speak with a world number one to get his insight into what it takes to reach that level of the game, the things he's focusing on week in, week out, how he approached matches was fascinating to hear him get into that on today's show. And again, looking forward to watching him have further success in 2024. With that said, as I alluded to, this is not the only show uh, in the intro. Excuse me. This is not the only conversation we've got coming this week on this podcast. We'll have another top 100 player for you this week, more next week as well. We're locked and loaded. It's a busy December here, as we know, the offseason is meant for one thing, one thing only, and that's for tennis fans to come listen to our Crack Rackets podcast, whether it's on this show, whether it's the mini break, where again, we're breaking down every topic and reflecting on the past season, projecting 2024 as well. If you want to hear from David Kane, Gil Gross, Ben Rothenberg, Jeff Sackman, Ed McGrogan, and others, go check out that podcast feed. If you want to hear our college tennis preview for 2024, check out the Great Shot podcast feed as well. A shout out as always to our super producer. Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic world number one doubles player, Austin Krejcik, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You have been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Well, soon. Thanks, everyone.